Now, we've been looking at Nebuchadnezzar's statue. You know, and we've uh, come to understand that it represents the whole of history from the moment that Nebuchadnezzar had his dream right up until the very end of time. You know, and, you know you, you've got to be friends with someone who knows what's going to happen during those times. You've got to stand back in awe. You know, and, you know some people will say, well, it's a, a, a coincidence. Well, I don't think this can be a coincidence. Because every step of the way, God has been right in everything that he says. And if he's been right so far, then there's nothing to stop him from being right from now on. That's the confidence, the, the faith that builds up in me whilst we've been doing that. Now we've seen, don't we, that this statue represents four kingdoms, the four kingdoms of men, which will o- occupy that whole history from Nebuchadnezzar's dream right up until the end. First of all, of course, there was Nebuchadnezzar and his empire we know as the Babylonian Empire. You know, the greatest, he was the greatest, he was the head. He was the one that started it all. And of course we know that he was the, the golden head that was on the statue. Then we had the Medes and the Persians. They were pretty good. A little bit lower down. Their sort of standing was silverish. And, um, and, you know, but they, they lasted longer, actually, than uh, the Babylonian. But they weren't as powerful. And there was two opposing the Medes and the Persians, and one was always better than the other. So there was a, a little bit of conflict all the time. Then, of course, we came to the, the Greek Empire with Alexander the Great when he, uh, the Bible says, he flew over from Greece and conquered the world, and his feet never touched the ground. You know, and uh, we know that that we we in the middle of he was in the middle of that the last time that we we met together, and then finally we have this Roman Empire, which is represented by the legs uh, of our statue. It's iron, so it's the strongest of all uh, the the empires. But it's divided. There's two. There's an east and a west, and I suppose that's what weakens it. Division always weakens something, uh, even though it is very, very strong and savage uh, in what it did to the world. And of course, we saw that that carried on, but it was joined by this clay stuff that it never mixed with. And therefore, the Roman Empire, still with us today, only it's sort of secreted in the, the division that we see in the world today. And therefore it becomes strong in one sense, but it has a terrible weakness of not being able to get it together. And I suppose that's a perfect description of, of Europe over the last 2,000 years. It's been strong, not 2,000, say 1,600 years. It's been strong in so many aspects, and yet there's always been that little fly in the ointment, that sort of oil in the water that divides it. And that's what we've looked at. You know, and I suppose that all of us, from the youngest to the oldest, will know that story because we become familiar with it because such a thing has become a popular Sunday school story only when we look at it as adults it becomes absolutely incredible that this statue could represent the whole of history but I want you to know that was, that was um, Nebuchadnezzar's dream and we've dealt with that on two Thursday nights now 
But I want us to know that the pagans, Nebuchadnezzar, is like, we're not the only ones who could dream and have visions. Daniel, as we read his book, had his fair share of visions and dreams. In fact, I wonder sometimes, was he ever awake? from the, la- the, the latter part of his book because he's always having a dream or a vision about something very rarely was he in the real world uh, if you, when, you, when you read it it's interesting to notice and I think I've said this before but when Daniel wrote about Nebuchadnezzar's dream he did so in the language called Aramaic which is quite common which was the normal tongue of his time you know and the reason being is because if you look at it and what we've done so far, it's all, it's all been about the Gentiles. It's been about the Gentile uh, empires of the world. You know, and that's common knowledge for everybody to see. But when we come to his visions and his dreams, you might not know this, but he records them in Hebrew. He changes his language halfway through the book. And he records his dreams in Hebrew, which is, of course, the children of Israel's tongue. And yes, they overlap a little. I'm not saying that they don't. But it seems that such knowledge of Daniel's visions and dreams were for the eyes of God's people alone. In fact, this wasn't going to be common knowledge, but for those to whom it would have an effect. You want Daniel's vision affects the Jews and in doing so affects Christians. And in fact, Daniel is told on one occasion to shut up the book and, and hide it and secrete it somewhere. Not for it to become common knowledge. So what we're dealing, about, dealing with tonight wasn't meant for the world to look at. It's meant for you and I to look at and for us to understand. Now, Daniel's vision, and I want us to turn in our Bibles to chapter 8 of Daniel, because this vision that he has in chapter 8, you know, thank God we're Welsh, and, and thank God we live in the valleys. You know, it's perhaps not so, so much for Sophie and Joel. They missed the best era of the valleys. You know, but I, when I was growing up, it was commonplace for sheep to be in your dustbin in the early hours of the morning. It was commonplace for sheep to get into your garden and eat your carrots or your cabbages and stuff. It was, you know, it was commonplace. They were all over the place. And I've got to be honest, I miss them. If I was, if I was Frank, I miss, I miss seeing the little sheep walking around and messing things up and damaging things. You know, and... Uh, but to us who grew, grew up with sheep, I've got to be careful what I'm saying when I talk about Welsh people uh, growing up with sheep. But to us, the vision that he has it would have been a common sight for any of us who would venture onto the field or onto the mountain, uh, the mountains of Wales. Because what he saw in his dream was a fight between a ram and a goat a fight and you know I've seen it and I tell you now it's sickening when these two you know rams I haven't seen a goat fighting but I've seen two rams fighting and they will back off from each other about 30 yards 
and they will look at each other for about 10 minutes and then like if somebody you know, shot a gun they'll both start immediately together and they'll run at each other at top speed and hit each other in the head and the fud is sickening and you wonder I've seen that numerous times when I was growing up and it, it really goes through you you and um, that's exactly what we have here we have a fight between a ram and a goat well the ram the ram has two horns one a little bit bigger than the other and therefore it is obvious to me that you is the Medes and the Persians this is their their animal this is representing them they've got one horn two horns one a little bit bigger than the other of course these Medes and Persians they strutted their stuff if you remember when they defeated the Babylonians they snuck under uh, the tunnel into the city and destroyed the empire of Babylon but we have a goat and he has one horn and I love the way the Bible says, it says, it's a notable horn. <laughs> a notable horn. In other words, it's a big one. And it's stuck there, right between his eyes. A notable horn. You know, and verse 5 will also tell us that this goat came from the west. And its feet didn't touch the ground. And of course this would represent to us Alexandra the Great who swiftly conquered the known world. Now I want you to know first, you know, before we go any further that what Daniel is talking about is actually 200 years future to him. You know, you talk about uh, back to the future this is nothing compared to what these two went through. This, this fellow went through. He went back, he went forward, he was like Marty. <laughs> Marty I've been I've been to the 23rd century he says and they're still working on the edge of the valley road <laughs> it's 200 years in the future and it goes on to say that the goat broke the two horns of the ram and trampled it into the ground and that was the end of the Medes and Persians this is how God described the end here is Daniel sitting in Babylon and the, the Medes haven't even come on the scene yet and, or they've just come on the scene and here you see in the demise of, the, of the, the Medes and the Persians you know and sometimes maybe we can look at our problems and think that they're insurmountable you know they've come up and they've sort of presented themselves to us and we fear and we tremble and we fret because we got this problem and that problem and yet God has got it all in hand for us you know I was thinking like was it last week when I talked about Rahab when she entertained the spies you know when she entertained the spies at the end of 40 years that the, the children of Israel had been wandering in the desert why were they wandering in the desert is because they were afraid of the problems in the promised land there's giants in the land they said we're like grasshoppers they'll just sort of spit on us and we are gone, we are done for. And yet 40 years later, Rahab said, as soon as we saw the Red Sea open for you, all our fight evaporated. 
In other words, God had been there, sorted the problem out, before ever they went in and saw the giants. And because of their lack of faith, they had to wander for 40 years, and every one of them died in the desert. Because they didn't realize that their problem that was so insurmountable, so, uh, so big and, 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 and sort of covered them with this big shadow, had already gone. God had already dealt with it. Our hearts had gone, she said. Our hearts were like water. All the fight was gone. You could have come in 40 years ago and walked over us all. And you know, and sometimes our problems, we enlarge them so much. So they make them so big when God says, look, I've dealt with them. I've dealt with them. And here is Daniel, I don't know if he was fretting because a new regime had come in. Where would he stand? How would he, how would he manage? Would he, be in, would he be sort of chucked out of the, the court because he was one of the Babylonians? He was Nebuchadnezzar's favored? Well, would he be henched out? No. God says, no, I, I've got it all sorted. I got it sorted in 200 years' time. Someone's going to come and take it off them. So don't worry about them. If you don't worry, you worry about the other one. But I'm going to show you what's going to happen to him and all. So don't even worry about him, says the Lord. You know, and I suppose that uh, uh, that's the, the beauty of what we're doing here. That the end of the Medes and Persians had been prophesied by God before really it had got off the ground. Now, verse 8. Therefore, the male goat, it's all conquering now. And it grew very, very great. And we know that the, the empire of Alexander the Great, well, it was limitless almost. They, you know, he was upset because he didn't have anywhere else to go and conquer. You know, and that's why he, that's why he died, really. He died of not being satisfied with what he had. You know, he died so young. But, it, you know, we can see how great his, his nation become. But then it says, look, but when he became strong, the large horn was broken. Mm. And we know to me that Alexander died. Mm. He died. Very, very young. He was at his zenith. He was at his peak. His, his empire was throbbing with life. And he died. Mm. And, of course, then it says, and in place of it, four notable horns came up towards the four winds of heaven. You know, we know, as I said, that Alexander in his prime was, uh, when he had conquered, just ten years after he started. But then he died suddenly, and four horns took his place. And what this means is that his um, empire had four major battles. And each conqueror took a part of the empire. There was a, a part that, uh, that uh, ruled over Greece and Turkey and, and sort of the European side. There was a part that took over Egypt and the North African side. There was a, there was a part that took over the Middle East. And then there was a part that took over the, 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 the sort of the Far East. And... Um, and see, these, these grew when they became four separate kingdoms. You know when you can go and read this in your history books? You know, this is absolutely accurate. And this is why, at the very beginning of our studies, I said that there, there are people who will not accept that Daniel wrote this prophecy in B.C. 600. 
because this took place in BC uh, 333 or just after and it is exactly how Daniel said it would happen and and that's why they won't accept that it's prophecy they say that it's a report of what has happened and they masquerade it as a prophecy no I don't I believe that Daniel was because I, you know, at, at one point he was talking to Nebuchadnezzar in BC 600 not, and according to them, the next point he was talking to Epiphanes who was in 165. So he, you know, either he was 400 years old or he was a prophet. That's the only sort of options that I can find. You know, and here he is, four horns. You know, and our interest is in the. Seleucid kingdom because they ruled over Jerusalem because you know that God's heart is for Jerusalem and all the prophecies that we've dealt with so far have all been about Jerusalem and in that uh, uh, Seleucid empire as it continued one of its most famous sons was a man by the name of Antichus Epiphanes now if you can remember, if you can cast your minds back, I would say eight years, nine years, no, nine, ten years. David used to struggle over him, over this name, every Thursday night, did it? He was David's nemesis. He couldn't get it out. And therefore, uh, I've come along and practiced all day to try and get this word. Because I always used to call him Antichius. But his name isn't Antichius, his name is Antiochus. Antiochus Epiphanes now perhaps you know him perhaps you don't I know him because David rammed him down my throat for 10 weeks uh, back there uh, just before Matthew left I think perhaps, perhaps that's the reason why Matthew actually <laughs> left I, uh, he, hasn't, he hasn't said that now let's see how Daniel would describe this man and out of one of them one of these little horns came a little horn or out of the, the, one of these four horns came a little horn which grew exceedingly great towards the south towards the east and listen to it towards the glorious land which of course is Israel and it grew up to the hosts of heaven and it cast some of the host and some of the stars to the ground and trampled them he even exalted himself as high as the prince of the host which of course is God and by him the daily sacrifices were taken away and the place of his sanctuary was cast down because of transgression an army was given over to the horn to oppose the daily sacrifice and he cast truth down to the ground he did all this and prospered. Now here is a man that is an enemy of Christ. He's an enemy of right. He's an enemy of truth. He's an enemy of God. And there he is. He's now in charge of the temple. You know, and uh, can you imagine? You know, you know, when I was thinking about this, I was thinking about our own time. You know, there's a, there's a, a new MP that in his maiden speech this week has called on our nation to return to Christian values he said Christian values have made us great but we have neglected them we've gone away from them we've usurped them and he says it's time if we're going to be great again 
then we've got to get back to Christian values and base our society on the Christian ethic. Why is he saying that? Well, he's saying that because something has usurped this country. It's taken away its constitution, what it stood for, what it stands on. You want this Judeo-Christian sort of foundation stone that Britain and most of the West was built on has been crumbled completely. And now, um, evil men can speak one word and the voice of the prophet is is closed in so many different cities. One word. One word. I was thinking, you know, last week, can you remember the... The play that came to Cardiff, uh, Jerry Springer, the opera. It was the most blasphemous thing that have ever appeared, mm-hmm. so they say, on a on a theatre stage. Mm-hmm. And I think it received the most ever complaints from Christians. And they said, "We're going to show it anyway." Now, we, if we skirt on twenty years, I would say it's about twenty years, and we come to Franklin Graham. And he has but an handful of complaints. Mm. And it's stopped. And it's stopped. And that's the society mm. that we belong to. It seems that if Antiochus Epiphanes has taken over the reins of Britain and he is dismantling slowly all the things that you and I hold precious. Mm. Here he is. Here he is, and uh, Daniel has sussed him out, and he's talking about him. It's a good thing, because we now know that God is on the case. Mm. And if God is on the case, well, why do we fear, Mm. as we saw last Sunday morning? Now, I want you to know that Alexandra reached Jerusalem in 333 BC. Now, this is a very important date. And I want you to keep it in mind. And in ten minutes time, I'm going to ask you what that date is. Now, in our text tonight, verse 13 of chapter 8, there is a question. And this is the question. It's a conversation, it is, between two people. They are referred to as holy ones. Uh, Some Bibles call them saints. Some Bibles call them angels. But the actual word is kadosh, which is holy. They are holy ones. Listen to, listen to what they say and listen to the question. Then I heard a holy one speaking. And another holy one said to that certain holy one who was speaking, How long will the vision be concerning the daily sacrifices and the transgressions of desolation? The giving of both the sanctuary and the host to be trampled underfoot. That's the question. How long? How long? Now these two holy ones were concerned with how long Jerusalem, along with its temple, how long is it going to be defiled with Gentiles walking all over it? When is the temple going to be cleansed and regained? That's the question. Daniel's not answering this, asking this question. These two holy ones are. They're the ones that are talking about this 
this thing that's bothering them. You see, because now we've seen that they've looked at this thing and 200 years will go by and Jerusalem uh, will be under the control of this guy who then his sons or one of his sons will take it and defile it and do all manner of evil against it. And they are saying, well, how long is this going to go on for? How long is it going to go on for? Well, let's first of all see who they are. It's good to know who they are, isn't it? You know, holy ones. Who could they be? Well, the one who is asking the question is actually named a little bit further on. And his name is Gabriel. You notice that in verse 16. It's Gabriel who is uh, given the answer and he's also given the responsibility to explain the answer to Daniel. So the other person, the certain one, the certain holy one, he has given the answer to Gabriel. Now that's got him out of the way so who's the certain one well the certain one has got a strange old name his name is Paul Moni or Pal Moni that's what his name is in, in Hebrew Pal Moni the word Moni means to number and the word Pal means wonderful so he would be described for us as a wonderful Numberer. He's a wonderful numberer. Moni means number. And, uh, but it's the other word that interests me. The other word. Wonderful. Who is he then? Who is this wonderful person? He's a wonderful numberer. You know, you know, he's the one that can you take all your computer problems to in our day. You know, the geek. The nerd. But they are so important to get things done. And here he is, he's called the wonderful numberer. And uh, of course we know in Isaiah 9 and verse 6, For unto us a child is born, and to us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulders, and he will be called, or his name will be called, Pal. For unto us a child is born, and to us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful. That's the word. Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father and Prince of Peace and again, if we were to turn to Judges chapter 13 if you remember one of my favourite stories in the Old Testament when Samson's parents were met by the angel of the Lord in the field in fact it was his mother his mother who couldn't conceive she was barren she went out for a walk in the field and she met a man and the man said to her you'll have a baby next year so she went home excitingly to her husband and she said I met a man in the field she said and the good news is we can have a baby next year <laughs> so <laughs> it's, that's, that's, how this, that's how the story goes My, Manoah his name is Manoah the husband said he went to the Lord said Lord please can I meet this man <laughs> I want to speak to this man myself yeah. and um uh, of course the Lord granted him his wish and uh, they were both out in the field the next week and down came this same person the, the angel of the Lord and of course they, he reaffirms that, he would, that they would have a son they said that a razor shouldn't touch his head and, and all the rest of it you know the story and then in verse 18 of that chapter it says and the angel of the Lord said to him why do you ask my name? you know because obviously Manoah had asked his name in the verse before 
Why do you ask my name? Seeing it is Pal. Wonderful. Wonderful. And then if you listen to the response in chapter in verse twenty two of that chapter, this is what Manoah says. And Manoah said to his wife, We shall surely die because we have seen God. They've seen God. The angel of the Lord was God all the time. And what's his name? His name is wonderful. The babe in the in Bethlehem was God all the time. And what's his name? His name is wonderful. So who are we looking at you? Who are we talking about? When we come to this prophecy of Daniel, this trance of Daniel, and he sees these two people talking. One of them is Gabriel, and that's that's, that's incredible enough. But the other one is Jesus. He's the Son of God. The other one is there who knows everything and he's wonderful. You know, he's none other than Jesus himself. And what does Jesus do? He holds all our days in his hands. That's what the, the psalmist tell us. I, you know, when I seen that years and years ago, so thrilling to know that God the Lord holds all of our days in his hands. You know, we're still going to go home tonight and fret about tomorrow. How silly we are. How stupid, you know, when God says, look, I've got all your days in my hand there. Mm. I know what you're going to do tomorrow. I know what's going to happen to you. You want to, Whatever it's going to do, I'm with you in everything. Mm. You know, that's, that's what we have here. The person talking about this has the world in his hands. Now then, the wonderful Newton number, mm. his name is Jesus. Now, the answer the answer you know and uh, Jesus answers the question and this is what he says for 2,300 days then the sanctuary will be cleansed 2,300 days now we know to me that uh, the prophetic day uh, sort of represents a prophetic year a year so we can say that that's 2,300 years. Now I want you to keep that figure in your mind also. I know it's a lot to keep two figures in your mind. But I want you to keep the first one in your mind. And I hope I'm not taxing you too much. But I want you to keep the other one in your mind as well. 2,300. Now following this vision that Daniel had the temple is defiled three times three times you know when Daniel tells of all three in the course of his studies or the course of his trances or his dreams it would be great wouldn't it if, it'd be great if you go to sleep tonight Dave wake up in the morning with uh, a sermon for Sunday night or if he was speaking at <clears> course, yeah. wouldn't it be great what do you think of that, Rod? You wake up in the morning. Some people do actually put a pen and paper under the pillow. Yeah, I've tried it. It didn't work, but it <laughs> didn't work for me anyway. But that's what he did. He just went to sleep, and the next thing you know, he's got a, he's got a chapter of his book. You know, and it's there for him. And he's, and he's, so, he's so brilliant. Like, Well, anyway, he knows. 
And he tells of all three of these defilements. And of course someone else confirms his words. And that someone of course is Jesus in the New Testament. He confirms his words as well as, as we shall see. Now we've already mentioned Antichius um, Epiphanes. We've already had a little look at him. But he's the little horn that we see in verse 9. And uh, see what it says. And out of one of them came a little horn, which grew exceedingly, and grew towards the south, towards the east, and towards the west. And he was the first one to desecrate the temple. In AD, uh, in BC 168, the Greek king Antichius IV, Epiphanes, invaded Jerusalem, captured the city, marched into the Jewish temple, erected a statue of the Greek god Zeus, and sacrificed a pig on the altar of incense. Now if ever there was an insult to God, he was it. He was it. You know, I don't think this person could have done anything worse than what he did. But when you think about it, our society is doing things that are ten times worse. You know, because they're not putting pigs on the altar. They put in life, human life, on the altar. So we're in the same type of situation that, that this guy is in. You know, they are, We are a society that has gone after any god or all the gods. And, um, and even in churches there are horrible things that are taking place. Horrible things that are being said mm. and done in the name of Christianity. Yeah. Of course this provoked a revolt in Judea as the Jews fought to remove Antichius and, um, and sort of the, under the leadership of the Maccabees. Now uh, I wouldn't um, sort of recommend the apocryphal books in the Bible but there are two and they are the two Maccabees books that are great history books mm. and if you want to read about this story uh, find yourself a Bible with the, Macca- the Maccabees in it and you will find how they destroyed this guy and there was a fellow by the name of Judas Maccabee who was the, the champion in fact some heralded him as the Messiah who came and fought against this man mm. and chased him out of their country mm. you know and tradition would tell us uh, and I read this somewhere years and years ago uh, that um, they took the stones of that altar they dismantled it it was now defiled and they put it behind the door of the temple so that when Messiah came he could cleanse it mm-hmm. but of course when Messiah came they rejected him so that's the first um, defilement of the temple then we come to Daniel chapter 9 where Daniel has another dream and this time it's the Romans who fulfills his prophetic prophetic musings this is what it says and after the 62 weeks now this is a a, a very popular um, prophecy with Bible, Bible students or prophetic students this is the 70 weeks of Daniel after 62 weeks Messiah will be cut off but not for himself and the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary 
the end of it shall be with a flood until the end of the war desolations are determined now of course we have Messiah here so this has got to be taking place in the lifetime of Jesus you wonder this is when he walked the earth and his own people reject him as the Messiah and along with the Romans who are now the ones who are trampling over the sanctuary you remember before it was the um, the Greeks who were trampling over the, the sanctuary now it's the Romans and they crucify him they cut him off but listen to what it says but not for himself no it wasn't because of his sin it wasn't anything that he had done wrong it wasn't his misdemeanors but it was for the sins and the iniquities of us all he didn't die for himself he died for me he died for you he died that we might have life he died that we might be reconciled he died that we might have hope that we might have a relationship with God that we might spend eternity with him that's why he died not for himself the shame and the agony that he endured was for someone else Daniel saw that so many years before it happened of course we know that Isaiah 200 years before him and we know that David and 200 years before him this has been the record of prophecy down through the ages you know, but the, that rejection paved the way for Titus to come now if you remember when Jesus came from the Mount of Olives and he had a lovely vantage point and we've been there Paul and me well, we've been on that vantage point I'll show you a picture of it later when you can look over the whole of Jerusalem and can you remember how he wept he wept for Jerusalem because he knew what was about to happen because their rejection of him heralded in the prophecy of Daniel he wept because they had the opportunity to repent and they didn't you want it paved the way then for Titus to come and in AD 70 destroy the city and the temple leaving not one stone upon another which of course accords with the words of our Lord as he spoke unto his disciples on the Mount of Olives on that same vantage point because what were they looking at they were looking across the Kinron Valley right into the doorway of the temple and they were in awe of it it was golden shining in the uh, Middle Eastern sun and they were absolutely in awe of it and Jesus says it won't be long before not one stone will rest upon another and Jesus went out and departed from the temple and his disciples came to him to show him the buildings of the temple and Jesus said do you not see all these things assuredly I say to you not one stone shall be left here upon another that shall not be thrown down and we know the story of the Romans the, you know, the Jews uh, rose up against the, their captors mm. and of course Rome overcame and Titus threw a torch into the temple 
and burnt it to the ground, mm. destroyed it. And there it was, the second defilement of the temple. Given us time to speak of one more incident that involves this temple. And now Daniel and our Lord, they get together and speak almost the same language. Daniel chapter 11 verse 31 says, And forces shall be mustered by him, and they shall defile the sanctuary fortress. Then they shall take away the daily sacrifices and place there the abomination of desolation. And Jesus follows suit when he continues his discourse in Matthew 24 when he says, Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel standing in the holy place, whoever reads this, let him understand. So they're both talking about the desolation of the abomination of desolation and it's particular where it stands. And where does it stand in? It's standing in the holy place. Now here's my picture. I'm proud of that picture. I took it myself, Rog. Yeah. And it's a wonderful picture of the skyline of Jerusalem. You and I suppose that we've been there. David had been there. The Dome of the Rock is there, right in the very centre of it all. Yeah. And I suppose that tourists are in awe of the skyline of Jerusalem from that vantage point of the Mount mm. of Olives and I don't suppose you can not be impressed by the magnificence of that dome mm. that dome has been there since the 7th century mm. you know and it's located there on the Temple Mount and it enshrines the rock now me and David have seen the rock because in 1980, we were actually allowed to go in there, weren't we? We had to take our shoes off. And we, go in, and we could go in and we sinking in carpet with pile like that. It was, it's the most richest place that you can ever imagine. And they took us down these steps to the very floor of that building. And there's this huge rock. Now, of course, we went down there as Christians. And our guide was Ian McPherson, the Reverend Ian McPherson, who was a, a, an expert on, um, on prophecy, could do, could do with him, you actually. And of course, he related that this was the rock that Abraham sacrificed Isaac on. You know, and I got to be honest, I knew nothing about, you know, I knew the story, of course. But I knew nothing about the, the, all the ins and outs of that. And I took that as gospel. But the Dome of the Rock doesn't keep safe the rock that Abram sacrificed Isaac on. It keeps safe the rock that Mohammed took off from <coughs> when he went back to heaven. Which is a totally different thing altogether from what Ian McPherson... Well, I've got to be honest, I'll trust Ian McPherson before I trust the, the Muslims who put all this there. You know, and... Uh, you can take it from me, I think that's the place where uh, Abraham actually did this thing. So the, the Dome of the Rock was actually built by Caliph Abdul Malik between 687 and 691 AD to preserve the rock from which Mohammed left the earth. And it is 
a tourist's dream to see the sight that Daniel and Jesus refer to as an abomination of desolation. Mm. I've taken photographs of it and we've, we've gone, wow, what a sight. But Jesus and Daniel, they call it an abomination of desolation. Mm. It's all according to how you look at things, isn't it? What your perspective is. Mm. And it stands in the place of the sanctuary. So there we have it. Three abominations. The Greeks with Antichius Epiphanes, the Romans with Titus, and Islam with Gunul Abdal Malik. These three, you know, have represented those who have trampled over the sanctuary. Now can you remember the question that Gabriel asked the Lord? How long? How long will the vision be? Concerning the daily sacrifices and the transgressions of desolation. The giving of both the sanctuary and the host to be trampled underfoot. Well Christ, Paul, the wonderful one, he gives the answer. Anybody remember what the answer was? 2,300. This is what he says. And he said to me, for 2,300 days, then the sanctuary shall be cleansed. Now I said earlier that one day represents a prophetic year. So 2,300 years from from what? From what? Well as Daniel listens to all these explanations they all seem to start at the time of the goat. This is where it all started from. This He saw a goat with a notable horn. A big horn. Right, and there he is, it's Alexander the Great, which we know started his conquest in 333. 33 CBC, you remember that? Well, you didn't remember the other one, did you? Yes, I have. Oh, you do, you what? Oh, you are, you're saying that now. So we, we got the first one anyway, we got the second one. You know, if we take that to be the, the cleansing of our, of our of the, not the, the time that um, it starts, and if we take that to be our starting place, then 2,300 years later will actually give us 1967. Isn't that good? We're always expecting, huh? It's a good year, isn't it? Hmm? What's that? The year of desolation. It's the year of desolation. <laughs> no, it's not. No, it's not. I'll tell you what the year it is. It is the trigger year for the countdown for the second coming. I said that three weeks ago. It's the trigger year. Don't listen to Sophie. Right? It's not the year of desolation. It's the year when the desolation ended. Right? 1967. If you cast your mind back a fortnight ago, was the year in June chapter uh, in June the eighth to the tenth, nineteen sixty-seven, for the first time since these events that we've talked about tonight, the Jews took complete control of Jerusalem, and for the first time in all that time, were able to lay their hands and their heads 
on their lips on the western wall the Wailing Wall or the Great Wall no I would call it the end of the times of the Gentiles remember this fella remember him all no you're a bit young I think Moshe Dayan Moses Dayan he was the general that led the Israeli army he when he was sort of uh, walking into the place with all his troops he paused by the William Wall to give thanks to God for what he did and this is what he said we have returned to our holiest place never to depart again that happened in 1967 just a few weeks before Alison was born she's the first generation of the countdown to the second coming it's a very privileged place to be you know I, I said last time that in June 1967 the trigger moment for the countdown of Christ began and everything points to it and therefore we should not consider it of no consequence because let me tell you this the rock is on his way that rock that will be cut out without hands is on his way you are not statue that have reigned with terror for the last 2500 years will be smashed to smithereens and the kingdom of God will reign upon the earth a stone cut out without hands is on his way to set up the kingdom of God on the earth with that same Jerusalem as his throne he is David's greatest son he is the king of Israel in fact he is the king of kings and once he sits on that throne then eternity will never ever remove him and that temple will never be defiled when he's on the throne for his name's sake Amen